So my name is Les Borset. I uh, have been in the music business a pretty long time, and about seven years ago, I was an artist manager, and I made the decision and the distinction that I didn't want to talk to artists any longer, and really pretty quickly, out of the box, got deep into technology and created an SMS platform to do mobile uh, initiatives at concert tours and did that for a lot of arena artists. Quite quickly after that, I got into building music applications. I just want to tell you a little bit of background on me, and then we'll introduce the panel. And the music applications all, uh, you know, initially were for iOS and revolved heavily around licensing content. And I had some success and was able to download about 10 million apps. From there, I realized pretty quickly that licensing music for mobile applications and games is very difficult. It's not an easy process, and people don't understand it. But the thing we know historically is that music and games uh, creates a better experience, creates greater retention in those games, and has users coming back to those games. So music's a really important part of it. The other thing I realized was pretty much just the process in itself and, and how difficult it was to get to the right people to create these opportunities, license content for games. Um, so over the last three years, I built a portal called SongLily, which aggregated major label content and other content so app developers and game developers could uh, go to that destination and license music. Um, I virtually have worked with every single one of these people up here except Andrew, who I've just seen at parties. Lots of parties, yeah. Lots of parties. So I'm really fortunate to have these guys up here. Uh, why don't we uh, get a little background from each of you, starting with Matt? Sure. Um, Matthew Cox. I work at uh, Warner Chapel Music, Warner Music Group in uh, business development and consumer products. Um, handle apps, anything from apps to slot machines, plush toys, greeting cards, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so that's kind of background-wise. Um, went to USC, you know, in music publishing, all that kind of stuff. So been in it for a little over five years now. So, and it learned something new every day. So... <laughs> My name is Randy Sheffer. I'm at Sony ATV Music Publishing, and I handle all interactive initiatives, uh, which include mobile applications, startups, video games. But I'm in the sync department, so I also handle a lot of uh, film and TV and uh, some other business development aspects as well. I'm Jen Miller. I'm the co-founder and president of AudioSocket. We curate a roster of artists that basically are looking for licensing opportunities, but we've also developed two technologies. One is called Mass, Music as a Service, and it was developed um, fundamentally for integration into gaming platforms, mobile apps, uh, places like Vimeo, Associated Press have integrated. And then we have a second licensing platform called License ID, which is actually brand new to the market, and it is a copyright protection service for the artists that we work with, and hopefully these guys at some point. <laughs> Uh, Nick Garino, I work for Universal Music, and uh, I represent our recorded music uh, for licensing to apps, games, advertising, just just about anything. <laughs> Andrew Stess, I'm with uh, Lyric Find. Been with Lyric Find on their board for nine years and chief revenue officer about three, uh, three and a half years. We're the largest provider of lyric, uh, legal lyric solutions uh, out there. We um, have customers like Amazon, SoundHound, Shazam, iHeartRadio, Pandora. So if you want lyrics, uh, come to us. We have all the lyric content and the deals with all the major publishers, all the independent publishers, not all of them, but a lot of them, over 3,000. And uh, 
We have the APIs to access the lyrics. We have a content team that, with headphones on that builds the lyrics from scratch so that the quality is great and the back-end infrastructure for reporting so the songwriters and the publishers get paid. And um, we've been in this space for about it's our 10-year anniversary, which is a long time for this uh, crazy uh, startup era. And uh, I've been in this space about 16 years. So. How many people in the room have actually licensed music before? So one of the things I want to talk about for the people who haven't licensed music is a distinction about songs. Um, and this may be kind of rudimentary for those who have, but you know, a song is not quite as simple as just a master recording. Um, and the nice thing about this panel is you know, the distinction, distinctions are represented. Um, where Nick deals with the master side of the recording, there's an underlying side of the publishing as well to make up for the full composition. And you ta- if you take a look at the lyrical edition, there's many forms of different types of licensing. Um, so why don't you talk about some of those distinctions, Randy, in terms of the different licenses that you deal with? Well, uh, you know, in terms of uh, what we handle on a day-to-day basis, uh, we're a publishing company. So it all starts with the song. It's the actual written song, lyrics, anything associated with that. It's not the master recording. So we always say there's two parts of a license. First, you have to go through, well, I guess it doesn't really matter which order you go through, but you have to go through the publishing company and you have to go through the appropriate record label or master uh, owner. And Nick, it's the same process for you, right? Right. And, and I, you know, as, as walking people through the process, if they haven't done it before, we always try to, to help folks identify the other rights holders in the situation. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're one half of the equation, and, and you can't have a, a piece of recorded music without the underlying publishing rights. What's funny, Les, is that you've got probably about, what, 60% of the music business up here? If for anybody that needs an actual like uh, application license or music license, um, and most of the time with current catalog, uh, top forty, Matt and I co-share, we co-own those copyrights, and it could just be owned um, by Nick under Universal. Mm-hmm. I think one of the the problems that app developers have when it comes to licensing, without like getting on you guys, which I, I swore I won't do because I have to do business with you. Bring it on, um, but. <laughs> You know, part, part of the problem is information itself. And, you know, with the song having so many pieces and ownership of compositions constantly changing, you know, for an app developer to have a centralized destination to find out the information of who owns what copyright, what advice can you offer app and game developers to, to find out that information? Because there's two ways to license a song. You can license individual content and get individual clearances or deal with blanket licenses why don't the three of you speak to that for a second? Sure. Um, I think the best way to find out information on a song, there, I honestly, I don't think there really is a great way to do it. You can go through all the performing rights you know, societies online and try and figure it out through that, but those aren't updated frequently enough or anything like that. Information's wrong. So I think probably the best is to hit the majors, really go through each website, do your song search, see if it appears through any of those, and if it, you get a hit from one of those go to them and they should be able to assist you somewhat in finding the other publishing um, uh, publishers excuse me and um, you know assist you on the master side as well as far as individual song licenses versus blanket licenses or catalog deals uh, individual licensing is you know taxing it, it takes a very long time and you usually come to us with you know 40 or 50 songs already so we're going through each of those to try and get it done and it 
takes a, it's a process and as Les knows through some of the blanket deals and other things that we have in place that is also a process but in a different manner it it can you know once it's all done once all the lawyers have agreed and we've all agreed to things there can be a great amount of content that you have right off the bat so I, I personally prefer doing things that way it's easier for me it's easier for you know the users as well the, the good news on the lyric side is uh, if you come to us and you want the lyrics we do all that for you. So we're not, I think I said in my intro, we, we provide the lyrics, but we have all the deals with the publishers, so we do all the reporting if you're using our API. So it's really easy. So that one step for the lyric part makes it really easy because to have to go through that, it's, it's very complicated. So we try to make it easier for you. Yeah, I mean, I know the Copyright Office is looking to create new solutions, but, I mean, the, the process in itself is, is incredibly complex. So if I want to find a split on a song, typically what I do is I go to Google, I go to Wikipedia, I go to ASCAP, I go to BMI, yep. and if I'm lucky enough, I have some outdated information uh, that you know will will give me those splits. And what makes it even more complex in some situations is catalog licenses. Um, if you do a catalog license with the master, for instance, and Nick can speak to this in a minute, um, finding the publishers that own the other side of it is incredibly difficult, and you end up fundamentally breaching as an app developer, putting content in. Uh, an application that's not licensed. Um, how do you deal with that challenge? Because that has to come up a lot. Well, I, I mean, on our end, as far as helping identify the publishers, our our database of information is not always accurate or up to date, and especially in catalog tracks, uh, maybe historic information and uh, catalogs change hands. Uh, we try to lead you in the right direction. Obviously, we'll uh, do as much research as we can, appreciating. Uh, uh, if you've taken a few first steps, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know it's it's difficult doing that. But once you've you've identified perhaps uh, one major that has a portion of it, they can usually lead you to the to the other folks in, involved. Uh, but the catalog, um, uh, you were speaking about blanket licenses. Yeah. Uh, we have the ability to do blanket licenses on a, for a very narrow uh, scope, and, and typically just for what we consider UGC. Uh, otherwise, they're individual deals for individual master recordings, and we have a clearance process that we have to go through for, for each of those recordings. It's not something we can say, have unfettered access to the catalog for the app. Unfortunately, we don't have that kind of... talk about the process. Yeah, we, we don't have that kind of, of freedom because we have individual contracts with the recording artists that require us to go through a certain clearance process, and these contracts don't allow us the flexibility to just say, have at the catalog... Uh, unless it falls under that very narrow UGC uh, definition that we've set aside. So you can see some of the kind of roadblocks to licensing, and, and it's interesting because the model in the Silicon Valley in San Francisco for the longest time has been create the product, create it around music, and somehow a lot of the developers in the space forget about the licensing process. Um, and they end up getting in trouble, especially in situations where the companies are funded and they haven't thought about this because the cost of this are another thing we should just touch base on real quick. Um, you know, in, in terms of, of kind of mandatory minimums on the corporate level for licensing a, a single song, um, why don't you speak to those, what you have in place and w what those uh, minimums look like? Nick? Yeah. start with yeah. that? Well, uh, honestly, we, we've... We don't have a set minimum, but uh, when the uh, when apps first started to uh, uh, to build and, and we were working with app developers, we tried to do 
$0 advances and be very flexible with that. Unfortunately, we found that we were putting a lot of effort into clearing music and not getting very much in return. I, I, the anecdote that I tell is I had a, a, an app that I cleared about 40 tracks for, and we made $35. It wasn't worth the time <laughs> and the effort for anybody involved. Uh, so we had to set minimums where, depending on, on the deal structure, we're looking at you know, uh, around $500 to $1,000 per recording uh, that we have to collect as an advance, uh, typically, uh, so that we can go through the process and get the content that you're looking for. A lot of artists won't sign off on a $0 advance anymore. They're, they're looking for uh, the developer to have some skin in the game as well and to, to uh, have an investment that acknowledges the value that the music is, is bringing to the, to the product. So uh, that's, that's the challenge that we have. We've got to, we've got to present a, a dollar figure to the artist that they're going to be intrigued enough by to get involved in uh, and also make it worth our time in going through the process of, of clearing. Uh, so I, I think you can find uh, there are libraries and things like that that can give you more flexibility, but if you're looking for a certain level of content, there's there's a certain commitment that has to be made for that. Let's just touch on two things. Can you talk about some of the bigger apps that you've actually cleared licenses for and also talk about the consent and the process? Because that's another part of it. Once you get to the record company, that's where it starts. They still have an internal process with consent through artists as right. well, which is complicated. Yeah, we, we have we have several layers of, of consent that we have to go through. There are internal consents that we have to get through. Uh, each label that controls uh, the recording has to uh, review and sign off on, on the deal, and then the artist representatives have to review and sign off on it as well. So it has to be something that is, part of my job is making the deal look as uh, stupid as possible so that anybody can understand it. Uh, because the folks that we're talking to don't necessarily understand how these deals are typically structured. So we try to boil things down to the basics and present something that makes sense to someone who doesn't work in, in, this, in this world, uh, not even in licensing typically. Uh, so that's, that's an important process that we have to go through, just kind of boiling what you need down to its basics so we can, we can present it uh, in a clear way. Um, and then I'm sorry. Some what was of the, the bigger titles that the three of you have worked on in terms of apps and games. Well, and any any of the major titles that, that involve music, and from Tap Tap to Rock Band to all down the line. What we haven't seen, and I'll sorry, I'll, I'll let you guys jump in. Uh, enough of I think is is the uh, the independent apps that are using music as uh, as background and not the main content for something like like Tap Tap. And I, part of uh, the reason that uh, we're here today, I think, is try to talk to, to folks and, and get them more interested in, in doing that and demystify it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, one of the bigger applications I work with that actually doesn't use Nick or any other record label is uh, with Smeal. They do, uh, you know, the Sing karaoke app, and then they have uh, Magic Piano, Magic uh, Guitar, like a lot of instrumentation apps. And if you notice, if you play those apps you don't hear the original master recording. So with that kind of a deal, all you need is publishing, and in their instance, I believe, I mean, don't quote me on this, they uh, make... Turn off the mic. They make their own recordings. Um, so there's, yeah, just one licensing path they have to go down. Um, and that's been, you know, 
pretty successful app. I think probably the most successful app that in the music space, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. agreed. Most con- uh, successful and probably most consistent as well. Yeah. So, and I have yeah. no part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we can see some of the pitfalls with licensing, app, uh, licensing music for apps and games. You know, Jen has taken a different approach. Uh, I don't think you have a deal with any of these guys, and yet you have a very viable, uh, successful business. Once you speak to that, and you know, talk a little bit about your process with the labels, and so probably six years ago, I'm guessing I probably called Nick, although I didn't know it was Nick at the time. Um, I, in my former life, I was uh, in the extreme sports, and so I started as a hobby licensing music for extreme sports videos. And all of a sudden, I'm being told things about sides and masters and publishing, and I didn't understand any of it. And I started um, going to a local booking agent to find local bands. And essentially, I just started signing up all these local bands to work on these films that I was working on. And they loved it because it was extreme sports, so it was super cool for them. They were making money, um, and they didn't have to go through this whole process. And that's actually how my business partner and I started Audio Socket, is we found all these bands had a significant appetite to have exposure through, you know, whether it was films or, you know, placement in TV. But very few bands are actually offered a major label deal or, you know, a publishing deal in quite honestly, and and obviously no offense to to the panel up here, a lot of artists have chosen a different route with digital where it is today. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can pursue your career as a musician. So we began to curate um, a roster of artists. And if you go to Audio Socket, you'll find that these are bands you want to go see live and you can. I mean, we really started to look for... um, what we call culturally relevant artists, artists and bands that are out there playing. They're at South by Southwest. And then we pre-cleared the music, so there is no process to it. It's literally um, for an indie film. You can go on to audiosocket.com, search discover by you know genre, mood, tempo, sounds like you know a famous band, and then you can license it right there at the click of a button. And so we've streamlined that process. Um, we've made it pretty affordable. We kind of break it down by how much revenue are you doing or in terms of uh, like vlogs on YouTube. It's things like how many impressions are you getting. So we're really looking to make it make sense for your budget. It's going to be a percent of that. And so an indie film license, or excuse me, an, an indie game license, you could do... Um, if you were just getting started and you didn't know if this was going to stick, if you fall in that minimum criteria, you could license a track for $99. And it could be from a band that you could go see at South by Southwest. So it's a very different approach um, to us. It was sort of solving initially a problem that we were facing by trying to clear famous content and not hearing back from Sony Japan. Um, it was very difficult. And, uh, and so we've just really kind of taken a different approach to it. And, uh, and then the mass platform, which I mentioned Um, music as a service, we kind of took it the next level and said, developers, you know, whether it be for games or apps, you can actually build on our API and build music right into your apps and your games. And so we've had, um, you know, about 10 partners do that so far, and they're using our our music as a service platform to get music into into their world. So... One of the other things that has come up a lot kind of in my licensing journeys, um, I, I think at last count there's something like 5 million apps that have been created. Um, the number may have changed, so don't quote me on that. Um, 10% of those have music in them, um, meaning at least one song. Uh, how, how do your departments, and this is for the licensing guys again, deal with that heavy volume when you're also picking up you know, licensing for ads, television, commercials? How do you deal with that volume internally? How do you make a distinction of who you're going to pay attention to? 
um, when really the process is exactly the same each time. You're getting a quote request sheet. Um, what do you do to make those decisions on what you're going to focus on? Whoever screams the loudest. That's me. <laughs> Always Less Borsai. Yeah. <laughs> it's triage. I, I mean, it's, uh, and, and this is not making excuses, but we, we, have, uh, we have limited personnel. We have limited bandwidth. Uh, we try to accommodate uh, everybody that, that comes through the door to some degree or another, either uh, helping them out or vetting them and, and letting them know that what the process is and, and what the budget they would need to work with would be. And not everybody understands that coming in the door. Um, and uh, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's, you try to touch as many of them as possible and try to help as many uh, as possible. It's impossible to get to everything. Uh, I think on, on the master side, I don't see a lot of traffic, unfortunately, from those apps that you're talking about. I think a lot of them are... Are, yeah, uh, are using publishing only karaoke apps. Uh, you know, uh, they're they're staying clear of the master end because it's a it's an additional payment that they don't want to make. Honestly, it's not necessarily a process where we're scaring them away by uh, how labyrinthine the process is or or our our cost. They, it's just a cost that they don't want to take on. We are trying to find as you know as many ways as possible to work with people. But if they make a decision that they only need publishing, there's and they never call me. <laughs> there's not much well, I can do. I also think it comes down to um, you know what the project is. How is it actually going to work, and how is it going to be unique? Is there a really you know is there a great business model associated with it? And then second is are you coming to the table with an advance? Like how much. Um, pride do you have in your product that it is going to be successful because if you don't believe in putting an advance out there and I'm not talking a million dollars I'm talking something very minimal then how am I going to believe that I should do all this work to get this product launched yeah and I'm kind of along the same path lines I need to see monetization in advance or it'll just have to wait basically yeah Yeah, it's interesting Um, you know you guys are the more reasonable ones i've actually had conversations where you know the record company components have asked for millions of dollars in advances um and you know obviously you find another way to do it but i've been in the music business a long time so it's kind of easy for for me to maneuver and go from one person to the next i think you know the people sitting in this room that want to license music they're just dead in the water um because it's impossible sometimes to navigate it, and it's no one's fault. Um, one of the things I want to finish on, and then I want to open up to questions, because I'm sure a lot of people uh, have questions for you guys, especially since you're all in one room, um, is uh, you know, with the success of Spotify and other streaming services, are you guys getting approached for app developers that are doing their own versions of you know, on-demand music these days? Do they hit you with those requests? In terms of an actual like yeah. sync or well, not, uh, we're not like, talking about sync. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about streaming licenses now for new services that are coming. Do you guys get hit by a lot of that now? I would assume that the Omniphones, Medianets, and Seven mm. Digitals get hit up a lot because yeah. it's, yeah. it's it's easier to go through them. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So why don't we open this up for questions? Because this is kind of a full room, and I'm sure there's tons of questions. So, is there a mic? Go ahead. Hi, yeah, I've got a question for, uh, for the publishers. Um, when you're dealing with licenses for, for digital apps and you get to the point where 
uh, uh, you, you've reached an agreement. The, the contract is signed or close to be signed, and uh, an in- initial group of songs has been approved. Um, what conversations, if any, do you have with licensees, developers, uh, regarding royalty reporting? Are there, are there templates you provide? Are there pieces of information or way, the way you need that information provided back to you that you require or, or recommend? Can you just uh, 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 vamp on that for a little bit? Yeah. So um, our reporting is always done on a quarterly basis. It's what's required. We don't really go bi-monthly or anything like that. Um, we uh, require that we receive an Excel spreadsheet or something in a readable format with as much data as possible on there. You know, a user data doesn't really wind up on there sometimes, but we just need as much as humanly possible. We, we have to know how to properly allocate each royalty to, to each songwriter, pretty much. Yeah. The same holds true on the master side. Is we we need it broken down by recording uh, because we any income that we get is assigned to a recording. Uh, we don't just throw it all in a pot. Um, so yeah, it's the same format for us. You know, Universal Publishing isn't represented up here. They actually require a third party service uh, yeah, to to provide the royalty accounting. Sure. As a matter of fact, sure. yeah. so I mean, it, it varies well, from publisher to publisher as well. Yeah. And that's not cheap. No, it's expensive. That's like a whole other panel. Yeah, Yeah, a question again for the publishers. Just on that angle, too. If you actually um, take it, let's say, deep catalog stuff, and you go back and look at albums, albums in particular, is it the same amount of work and is it the same royalty reporting that goes on if a song was on a particular album and you want to get access to the master for the album? Is it the same? Um, so, in essence, the clearance is the clearance the same for the album as it is for the the actual track. Oh, if you the wanted, song, if you wanted to clear the entire album, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, I, it would we would just be clearing say ten master recordings. But all the the actual clearances and everything has to be it that all falls under that one license for yes. that album. Yes, yes, and it's you the same amount of work. Multiple songs, yeah, yeah. For, yeah. in yeah. one license. And then when production. you're doing your reporting, do you actually have to report up all the multiple songs, or you can just report up the master? ID of the album, the catalog number. Now, you, for uh, on on our end, we you have to break it down by recording okay. because there may be there may be different deals for each of those uh, recordings on the album. There might be different producers that have different shares. Money has to be allocated differently for each one of those recordings. Okay. And one other question: If you actually go by genre and you look in different genres and you look at jazz, mm-hmm. or if you look at classical or other genres that maybe are not getting as much attention these days. Mm-hmm. Is there any more easier to work with these groups and getting clearances and so forth? Um, on, on my end, yeah, I mean, if if you had uh, an application that wanted to use a large amount of jazz or classical, it, it, that might be a different conversation because those aren't being accessed as much. So we might be able to have a, a, a different kind of conversation about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's still... Our process is still an individual recording process that we have to go through. Yeah, the restrictions kind of depend on uh, what deal was signed at that time. Mm-hmm. So we take that into consideration. Lyrics are way easier. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. Just come to us, it'll be easy. We'll, talk. We'll, we'll even go out for a beer after. Where's your copyright? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we got all the deals. There you go. In the back. have artists and composers who might be a little more precious about their composition or their recording. And so the conversation the publisher or the, or the label has to undertake with them could be even more difficult just because of that dynamic. 
<laughs> Go ahead and guy in the back. Yeah, this question's for Nick. Um, you talked about the process at Universal and the, the content and the layers of that um, pre-clearing. Mm-hmm. and you have to go through each label and each artist's representative. Mm-hmm. Do you set aside a part of the catalog at Universal to say, hey, listen, um, this is for apps or some kind of alternative revenue sourcing for blanket licensing, as opposed to going to the top spot 0.5% of your catalog and going, you know. So, I mean, is there any way to get a blanket license and not make it so, you know, such a process to go through? There's, there's no way to get a blanket license in the true sense of the word where you have unfettered access to the catalog. Uh, We are working to identify a larger group of recordings that we might be able to make available for uh, certain types of applications, certain types of of sync uses. Uh, We're working with partners uh, on making that available through different services. But, um, yeah, there's unfortunately not a, a set... Uh, sandbox that you can play in right now, but we're working on identifying a, a larger group of recordings uh, right now. It's just a matter of, uh, unfortunately, manpower to, to get well, that done, sifting through all of the contracts to identify what we can include in that. You know, there was a point in time where licenses had very pure definitions. You know, a synchronization license was a synchronization license, and, you know, a mechanical was a mechanical. Well, what you're seeing now is a lot of hybrid licenses. I mean, I've actually just done a catalog license, and I would say one of the caveats is is what does the mobile application do? Um, that That's really going to, you know, be something that gives a distinction to what type of license it is. Um, in some cases, uh, you still got to clear the publishing, but, I mean, that... A catalog license. You may not have a blanket, but you do have a catalog license yeah. in many cases. And and if we can if we consider it a sync, a, a more traditional sync, it, they're individual deals. If it's like I said, if it's a UGC, something along those lines, uh, there there are blanket licenses for catalog licenses to be had. Excuse me. So there is a possibility for UGC content as a yes. sync to do blankets for parts of the catalog without yes. going through. So, uh, with that being said, um, are there different advance ratios that are associated with those parts of the catalog, as opposed to, uh, let's just say, Bla- it, blanket blanket deals require a pretty significant advance? Can you give a ballpark number? No, I can't. <laughs> it's worth an ask. It's a very large ballpark. <laughs> Thank but you. But it's a very large catalog. You know, the other thing is kar- karaoke apps historically. I mean, they all function off blankets as well. I mean, that's yeah, really where they yeah, started. Exactly. And, and you know, Matt, your company, you know. It, has a lot of blankets you know, oh, for karaoke have, apps. Yeah, tons in of particular. blankets in place with various karaoke companies as well as you know mobile versions of those companies, and we're trying to implement that in other aspects as well. So, but it's a uphill battle, and the hill gets higher every day. So, yeah, isn't licensing fun? <laughs> Go ahead. What's the uh, what's the process and price if I was to get a mic? <laughs> what's the Mike's price of the free. mic um, what's the process and price if I was to get uh, exclusive tracks from artists directly from the artists or from their management companies and they were signed to a major label and or there are tracks that maybe don't make the album that maybe the label does, has never even heard of that just is it is it the same type of licensing we still process? determine the fee even they, if you they get don't it own it yeah. the artists don't own it they, yeah when they sign a, a publishing deal a record deal they put us in control to take care of their babies, and we price them out accordingly. No, I, I understand that there's a licensing process involved. Yeah. But is that process to license cheaper than their commercial yeah. hit record on radio? Uh, well, 
that's more a, a film and TV situation, maybe for like you know actually syncing to a TV TV show or a movie or even an advertisement. There, you know, something that that's not used. I mean, in you know, like a music product, then yeah, you can take that in consideration. Yeah. But I think most of the time when we're, when we're talking uh, about apps, we're talking about deals that have a, a set rate, and it really doesn't yeah. matter what the content is, because you're usually looking for for volume, or your or, or the the deal structure is such that everybody is offered the same amount of money yeah. on the master and the publishing side. And that's it. And if you want to participate, great. And if you don't, we'll walk away and we'll move on to the next recording and the next song. Uh, otherwise, these deals get very complicated. You end up with layers of, 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 of different uh, pricing, and it gets too complicated for you and, 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 and too complicated for us, especially if we're dealing in volume. It's better just to say everybody gets the same thing if you want to participate. But, but unless, but that's actually a valid point I want to touch on for a minute, mirroring. We should actually talk about yeah, that yeah. in terms of pricing. Um, because there's been another shift with a lot of you guys, and even internal companies that are part of the same kind of parent company have had fluctuation in the pricing. And how are you dealing with that? And why don't you explain what that means exactly when you talk about mirroring? I haven't done with any of. I haven't dealt with any of it. So are you just talking myself, about matching yeah. MFN? MFN. Yeah, yeah. Right. straight, straight MFN. MFN. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if if uh, okay, say we let's just take an example. Uh, production A. They're licensing. It's a. It's a music-intensive app. Music is the gameplay. You go to Publisher A. They get offered a rate of, let's say, 20% of net revenue. They go to Nick. They go to some other label. The label says 25% of net revenue. But we all quote MFN, Most Favored Nations, with I put co-pubs, masters, and all songs. So that means in that situation, my fee gets bumped up to 25% of net revenue because the label bumped up the fee to 25%. Healthy way to do business. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, this is a question for all the publishers. Um, I know the current copyright law is um, with has a termination clause, thirty five years. Uh, the termination of transfer clause is like thirty five years after the agreement um, to transfer ownership of publishers. Um, so I think the l- last year was the first year since it was enacted in nineteen seventy eight. Um, was there any issues with the termination clause, that thirty five year termination clause? We get told when uh, yeah. copyrights expire or when they're no longer under our control. And then uh, that's another situation for awesome you know, app developers to try and figure out who owns what. Go ahead, Tom. You know, on that topic, can I just say something real quick? Yeah. I highly suggest if you do not know how to navigate through the music licensing space to hire a music supervisor that can help you through the whole process, tell you exactly what you need. They even come up with, you know, they know, they deal with us on a daily basis. So they know what fee is going to get this deal done. No, they can hire me, actually. <laughs> Fuck the music supervisor. I thought you were a consultant, though. That's, a, that's different from or a go super- to Song Lily. I mean, that's the reason we built it. <laughs> there you go. Um, There's a plug right there. There, there you go. go. I'm Tom Murphy. I'm with the local chapter of the Recording Academy, and it seems that in, in at a high level, there's kind of two major challenges. One is how much does it cost, and that's very complicated depending on what type of app I'm doing and how big I think it's going to blow up and all these different types of issues of what kind of which type of license does it fall under and what, what, what it's worth. And then the second one is just who do I pay? How do I find out who is actually I, – I, I have a check. I want to do the right thing, but – 
There's uh, the, the two different types of licenses. There's the, the, uh, the different people and how to contact that. The question I have is um, even people like Andrew have created an entire service that says it's so complicated, just come to us and we'll do all that crazy stuff for you. Um, and there are many industries and rights organizations and lots of different things to, to weather that. In this digital age, um, data is data. And one thing the Recording Academy is, is really interested in is uh, it's digital credits uh, and metadata so that wherever a song is, you know not just artist album song, but more about it. Who are the performers on that? Who was the engineer for that? Um, and things like uh, the difference between publishing and the recording. Um, would you support a move towards standards or are you happy with the systems you have and you don't want to incur a new expense to, to come up with a, a standard? It's fine to just make us come to you. It's natural selection. They're probably pretty happy with it. Um, you know, Jen, you can actually speak to that pretty well. So, I mean, I can't speak for these guys as far as how they like their process to be. But, um, but the second technology I mentioned that we just launched four months ago called License ID can really begin to start helping with areas like that. Um, in its initial iteration, it's truly just carrying with it the licensor and the licensee's information. So there's public and then there's private information. But you could go grab a URL from you know Machinima or somewhere, run it through the scanner, and you know at that point who you can call to license it. So it's evolving, and it is only four months old, but that is a technology that we hope will really start to branch out into areas that are going to help solve more of these issues for copyright owners. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully the support will be there and, and that'll progress as far as preference. I think for, li- yeah, so for lyrics credits, we have the songwriters and the publishers. Any service you get it that uses lyrics, you look at the bottom and it will have who the songwriter is, who the publishers are in multiple publishers. So, some, I mean, that might be a way to, to navigate that a little bit to help you out. But You know, and, and, and to be fair, you know, the RIAA and the MNPA right now are, are getting engaged to kind of get policy changed a little bit. Um, why don't you speak to that since you were out there with them? Yeah, so they've actually, are, are you guys all familiar with NMPA and RIAA? So they've been working on an initiative essentially to sort of improve the technologies to streamline the process because I think one of the complaints is we're trying to do the right thing and some technologies work against us like Content ID, for example. When they do the right thing, it still claims it. And then there's other um, systems that just, you know, like this. People want to do the right thing, but there's so many rights holders to call. It's such a process. At the end of the day, they didn't get a return phone call. It ended up getting published. Um, So they really are working to help the majors and and all of the copyright owners streamline the process through technologies and kind of do what Nick was talking about, which is, you know, even if it's a subset of tracks that are sort of safe to use for these things, they're trying to identify how to make that happen. How do we go to the majors, streamline that for even even a subset um, so that it makes it easier for developers? Is the amount of revenue being generated moving the needle enough for, say, a legacy artist with a huge catalog to actively go out and try to pursue this as opposed to commercials or movie syncs? No. <laughs> so it's a lot of a lot of legal fees. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's where I I'm, I am in the opposite boat yeah. because our bread and butter is where we've automated licensing. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, it we have artists making very good money 
on what these guys would consider to be. They probably just would say, thank you, have a nice day. Um, and, and that's actually our bread and butter. I mean, that's where AudioSocket thrives. I want to add to that a little bit. I think we've set the rates. I think we've set the rates at, at the majors um, for these new type of applications and video games uh, very well to protect our, you know, our interest. Um, and if they do succeed, we will we will all you know do do well. Like, and they're fair fees. Um, and that's the beauty of, of synchronization compared to a compulsory license. Um, this is gameplay. This is an interactive. There's an interactive element to it. So we have the right to negotiate a fair fee for our artist. And I think one of the other things to, to keep in mind is that we've done enough of these deals at this point. Is we have models in place. Even if you don't know how you're going to set up paying for, for licensed music, if you come to us and say, this is how my app works, this is how my game works, this is, this is how I'm monetizing it, we can tell you exactly how we would exactly. go about licensing exactly. that. And we have a blueprint in place that, that if you find acceptable, we can start working together. It's interesting because part of that blueprint, you know, I know on the master side is universal participating in startups. And that's another interesting thing to talk about, actually taking equity in startups for content. Um, do you know much about that, Nick? I know it's not really your department, but they—they've not given me the money to play with to do that. But uh, oh no, they no. don't—they don't give you the money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, they just take the piece. Yeah, uh, but uh, no, that—that that, yeah, <laughs> that uh, that usually takes place actually with uh, our uh, uh, global digital business group, and typically with those blanket UGC deals, and not the individual licensing. Uh, uh, deals. How many people in here are app developers that have music in their apps? Oh, quite a few. Do, do any of you use the APIs like Spotify or RDO to get the music? I mean, I'm curious that route, if anybody's taken that route. Yeah. Cool. Go ahead. What are, from you guys, what are the goals of music licensing? Um, you know, all the stakeholders you're trying to satisfy, and what do you think drives all the complexity? Because I hear a lot of comments about the complexity of the process, and it's just this beast no one can tame. But I'm just curious to hear what you guys think on that. The objectives and what drives the complexity? Well, they, I mean, our objectives are, are pretty transparent. We're looking to generate revenue. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what drives the complexity is that the Artist licenses are not designed to accommodate app licensing. They're designed to accommodate recording contracts. And uh, there's, uh, you know, there's a movement to make that end of things more simplified, but we have a legacy of thousands and thousands and thousands of contracts that don't address these things uh, specifically. So that's we're we're trying to address the, the, the new world we're operating in, but we have a, a history where this wasn't even a, a part of the thought, thought process. Um, I mean, but, you know, you, I'm sure everybody universal, everyone's, you know, motivated to, to do these kind of deals because it is exciting. This is a growing business. It's not stopping. It's just growing. And there are very cool ideas out there. Um, but, you know, we're sometimes held back because at the end of the day, we all have numbers to hit. Hi. Well, I just can't believe you brought it up, so yeah. carry no, on. I'm serious, yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, let's say we take everything into consideration, 
And it kind of just depends on, like Nick is saying, you know, publish in the publishing agreements, we have the same probably the same restrictions that the labels do. I think in the publishing realm and just in the music industry in general, you're dealing with people who are used to doing things a certain way. It is an old world way of doing things, and it's hard to adjust as quickly as we need to to this new world. Because when you have to go through 12 plus people to get something approved, the app is already no longer interested in our music, has got to deal with somebody else, and it's just moved on at that point. Well, so, yeah. sorry to interrupt. No, no, of that's course. That's another thing that developers need to know that this is not a one week, one no. month, two month, three month, four month process. This could take years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually just, true. I, just, I mean, I just yeah, you I just closed a license yeah. and it's not closed. I think I'm still waiting for signatures. I'm yeah. a year plus into one license. Yeah, yeah. yeah because it, obviously we structure the deal. We do the you know written approval memos and everything, and then at our company it goes to the contracts department. They had nothing to do with the actual negotiation, so they're going back and forth with us. They're going back and forth with you, and they're trying to figure out how do we get an executed agreement. You know, and and the funny part about that is, is when you start a process of licensing content. I mean, a it's going to be out of sync with your development you know, roadmap on the, on the apps you're creating. But what's really funny is as you're into the licensing, um, seven months into it, internal music policy may change, and they may change their mind about licensing to you in the first place. Has that happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Either one. Hey, Jeff Straw. Um, so, Jen, good luck with that RIAA thing. I was in the middle of that for years and oh, really? was very happy that I'm now with a new company. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, talk a little bit about um, remixing apps. Uh, probably more for you, Nick, than the, the publishers. I think it's easier for you guys. But there's a lot of tech that lets you kind of, you know, from a UGC standpoint, remix, redevelop, reincarnate songs. Talk a little bit about, you know, deliverables with, like, the rock band stems and that kind of mm-hmm. thing and, and into anything new that you're seeing trend-wise? Well, I think remixing apps, uh, we engage with a number of them early on. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of action uh, recently with that. I, I think that for, for a couple reasons. One, uh, it is sometimes onerous to get the assets necessary. Uh, we stemmed a lot of content for Guitar Hero and Rock Band, but if it hasn't, uh, if those assets hadn't been created, it, it can be costly to have those asset, assets created. Um, the other problem with with remixing apps are the rights issues and sharing the results of the remixing. Uh, a lot of app developers want that uh, new work to be able to be downloaded to the user or shared unfettered, and unfortunately. Uh, a lot of the concepts are mashups and things like that, and we just don't have the ability to let that stuff loose out in the world because those are new works, and we have a certain ownership uh, in that. The other problem with with remixing apps is is they oftentimes exist between, you know, they, they want to engage the casual user, so it's got to be on Rails to a certain extent, or they want to make it robust, and people who are really interested in remixing don't want to use an app to do it. Uh, so the the stickiness it, it isn't there on either end. Uh, I haven't seen 
one really be successful for us. We haven't made any money off of them. We've tried a number of times. We've gotten tried to be very creative. And I think all of us up here, we want to be creative in how we're working with you guys and trying to structure deals and 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 building in as much flexibility as possible. Um, it's not necessarily always up to us at the end of the day how flexible we can be uh, because we do work for huge multinational corporations. But, uh, you know, th- there there is a willingness to experiment uh, despite the the difficulties that, 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 that present. That's actually true. I mean, how long? Oh, I'm sorry. These guys are always open to kind of new concepts if you continue to push them. That STEMS question is a really interesting question because, y- you know, there is no – Exact library for stems, so no, you know, uh, app how long developers does it take to create stems. I'm sorry, it depends. I mean, if it's if it's a uh, if it's old tapes that need to be baked uh, like before current. they can be let's transferred. Say, let's just say like current, like maybe 90s, early 2000s rock. I mean, if somebody in the A&R department has the Pro Tools yeah. uh, hard drive in their office, uh, it doesn't take very I think long. It's good for everybody to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. typically, uh, you know, it's anywhere from. 48 hours if we have something on hand to two weeks. Interesting. Yeah, here's a good and news depending on the, the volume. The cost is passed on to you for that. Yeah, and, and the, the wrinkle is is that, that we, although it's we own the content, we own the material, Teamsters control access. And uh, we have uh, labor union deals in place where, where certain activities have to be uh, uh, done by certain parties, and there are certain costs associated with it. So those transfers have a a fixed cost associated with them that we just can't get around because it's not me going and going. Oh, here are the Pro Tools files. I would do it. I take fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> in, we have some in, more questions. In, instead of uh, instead of coming to you guys to to license the master. Um, for music that's actually being sold within an application, couldn't the application developer use the minimum guarantees that their back-end API is using, like a 7-digital or a choose-digital or any one of those storefronts? Couldn't we just go through their minimum guarantee instead of coming and licensing it directly with you guys as an alternative? Well, if, if, it's, if it's a synchronization, you need to, you need to license with the, with the rights holders directly. Unless Not there's, organization, just I think it depends on the deal that like Seven Digital has with all yeah. the music parties. Yeah. If they're licensed to actually do, uh, you know, whatever uh, project it is that we're speaking about, they have to get approvals, but uh, they uh, sometimes can streamline it and sometimes can't. It just depends, you know, what you're dealing with. But uh, they have the catalog and they've already done the. Uh, they have the recordings, so that part's easier. Especially, they have a lot of recordings. So, yeah. with, yeah. with that being said, how are the? You don't have to give specifics, but how are the minimum guarantees structured with iTunes, Amazon, Seven Digital, Choose Digital, all the all the music the music uh, digital stores? Uh, the, the, those aren't deals that I work I on, so yeah, I couldn't. I, I, couldn't really I, speak to I just that. know because I'm good friends with pretty much all of them that uh, they're they're pretty fair in terms of the. The monthlies and all that. There's, it's the barrier of entry isn't too bad for that, um, but they still have to go through the approval process, and you have to nag them, and that's sort of like you have to nag the squeaky wheel. You have so to it's be tough. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. You know, it, it can take. I have a friend of mine who's an app developer right now. He's going through that, and yeah. he's been waiting a, a couple months. And uh, but I've seen them go through faster. But it just depends. But you you have to be the squeaky wheel on this. And as as it yeah, said earlier, hire, like the right you know kind of help. Yeah. To, to help you navigate through the process, yeah. it's a you know more efficient way of doing it. Yeah. 
I wanted to just take a kind of a step back and look at the actual constructs that we're using. You guys mentioned a second ago that, you know, they're coming from an earlier time. A lot of them are based on a kind of industrial model. We're looking at a lot of new ways that people are consuming content, creating content. My question is looking at it from a bit of a distance and looking at the master and the sync construct that we're all working through and trying to make the best of. Do you see that as something will we be doing the same thing in five years or will we need to look at something different? Will something need to evolve that matches what technology is actually needing us to kind of do as far as using things more efficiently and kind of um, tweaking them? I mean, in other words, do you look at this as being something that we're just going to continue to tweak over the next few years or is there going to be instinctively do you guys feel like there's a need for a new model? I think a new model's ultimately just going to happen. I mean, look, these guys talk to each other, but I don't think they've ever sat with each other. I don't talk to them. No, and, I don't talk to any you know, of these people. The reality is, you know, the labels coming up with a better process, I mean, I think that's a pretty optimistic yeah. view of the world. I think, you know, the better process is going to happen up here. Someone's going to figure out a way to, to match this content. Mm-hmm. They're going to figure out a system where licensing can be a lot simpler. I mean, I mean, that's my opinion of it. I just don't think it happens, you know, with the content owners. Well, and I mean, I guess to that, I look around and I, I sort of, whenever I'm talking to other copyright owners, the thing that I say to them is it's time that the music industry professionals actually took control of their own destiny. And that's really what we're trying to do at AudioSocket with building out these technologies. We've watched as the tech companies have dominated and stolen, not stolen, they have, they have totally <laughs> taken the, the revenue streams and put them in, in their own hands. And we've allowed that because music industry has not innovated technologies for itself. So, I mean, that's exactly what I know we're working to do. And hopefully, you know, the major labels will jump on board with that. I, I don't know if, if that's part of the plan or not. But if they don't, then it won't be me or them. It'll actually be the tech industry that continues to build systems that aren't aligned with our interests. And again, I'll go back to sort of the Vimeos and YouTubes of the world. And we're working with both. They have built systems that are not aligned with copyright owners' best interests, but it's the system that has to happen because there's no alternative to it. So, you know, hopefully copyright owners will jump on and and begin to innovate. There are still artists and publishers who won't license the lyrics for us, and it's amazing. I won't, I'm not going to name names, but no. Very, no, I'm not going to name names. Uh, um, there's still some very large artists that just won't do it, and there's one fairly big publisher, or is it, uh, the fairly, it's an amazingly big company, not a huge publisher, but they had a very hit, a big hit album recently, animated album, that uh, didn't, doesn't, <laughs> that, that didn't, doesn't, we don't have the, the, the publishing yet, and we're close, we're working on it, but it, it's amazing how um, we have, mo- there's money waiting to be made, and uh, most of them get it, but I think to your question of, it's, it's evolving, I don't know if it's going to be a new model, it's an evolving model, and We've been doing this 10 years, like I said, which is a long, long time. But uh, every year we, we add lyrics. We, I always say we're never going to have 100%. Never, never going to happen. Not going to happen. But then you have the territories as well. So we're not just dealing in the U.S. We're dealing all around the world where it's, it's a different publishing in different territories. And you have to manage it. Uh, really was. So if you're dealing with U.S., it's one thing. But all of a sudden, you're in England and you're in France. It's a whole other thing. I mean, that's yeah. an amazing point. Yes, yes, in, yeah. in Asia, just to give you an yeah. example, in China, um, synchronization licenses can cost as much as sixteen thousand dollars a song from the major label yeah. affiliates. 
Um, you know, whereas you can get a global license, you know, for some of that same content for a couple thousand bucks a song. So there, there isn't, you know, a standard globally either. Yeah. If you're an app in multiple territories, that you're going to have different uh, publishers in these different territories, and we do all the reporting for that because it's they have to get paid. It's it's really complicated. That's I mean, not to you know, we're, like I said, our thing's a little easier than what they do, but uh, and we've proven every quarter that the publishers make more money. But it's it's definitely so complicated. I'm glad I'm not on their uh, on their end of it. Well, here's the thing though. Okay, okay, I've been at Sony ATV for almost eight eight years. I've been working um, with apps probably since. Um, Inception, and we're very creative. We think outside the box. We understand these are new revenue models, and we are trying to come up with new systems internally. The thing is, it's not just the press of a button. It's not compulsory. You know, you have to come up with um, new models, new structures, new ways to you know deal with you know not just one department, but this is going to take three to four or five different departments. We got about four minutes left. Any couple more questions? So I'm curious, is that I'm interested in like the bridge between the technology industry and the publishing side, and it seemed like in the early days they spoke totally two different languages, and when the technology companies would start an app or something like this, they had no concept of the value of the content, and I'm curious over time, is it, since this industry has been around for a while now, is it, are the questions starting to be smarter from the technology side, or is that gap starting to be filled between the understanding what the value of the content and the expectations of people that are building apps and technical products, do you find that it's getting closer? Or is it still as as wide as it was in the early days? I know that's a very general I, question. I think it's much closer now, yeah, personally. Agree. Yeah, I mean it's still difficult right. when you're dealing yeah. with higher you know level people to explain and everything like that. But I, when you're I, dealing I, with us, yeah. we understand it. I feel like yeah. the tech world also, you know. <laughs> I deal with these companies all the time. It is as far apart as you could imagine. <laughs> so, wait, what's far apart? The, the fact they're understanding. I mean, it's it's not any closer than it's ever been. I think it's actually worse. You don't think so? I think it's better. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's better with better. us. Depends who you talk yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. These guys. Are I mean, good. I was gonna say, like, uh, you, yeah. you know, I feel, you know, most of the time I get the deal done, and but the pro- I mean, the problem is the developer doesn't know to go to. 5,000 different music publishers. Yeah, right. well, or they do. If you take a look at some of the Israeli development companies and you want to talk about the PRO licenses oh, yeah. that they use, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they think that it's cleared sync. So <laughs> I think a lot of companies still kind of go the ask forgiveness later because yeah. basically, since there isn't very streamlined processes, a lot of innovation happens where it has to ask permission later, and, and then the issue is forced. And then, and it's not, in, in my opinion, it's not these guys that would be having those phone calls necessarily. It's on a bigger level because, like they said, they have contracts that they have to abide to. This could be many years of a, you know, probably a lot more than many years of a process to really be going back and evaluating those contracts. It's when the issue gets forced, something becomes huge, and then all of a sudden something has to be decided and, and just to avoid the lawsuits. That's actually, a, you know, a good point to kind of close on. I mean, a lot of the licensing that uh, the companies are kind of apprehensive of doing is in fear of not collecting on a hit. You know, that's that's what drives kind of the initiatives at some of these record companies. I mean, I've heard it from all of them. Um, if you can protect their downside, you can license easier. Thank the panel. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you.